Welcome to the WP Tonic Podcast, brought to you by WPTonic.com, a WordPress maintenance and support service for business owners. We talk to the leaders in WordPress, business, and online marketing communities, bringing you insights on how to grow your business and achieve success. Now, here's the host of WP Tonic, Jonathan Dinwood and John Locke. Welcome to WP Tonic, episode 190. Today, we've got the posse assembled to talk learning management systems in WordPress. Before we get into today's show, let's introduce the panel and we'll start with our guest, Chris. How you doing? Very good. Tell us a little bit about yourself, Chris. Uh, let's see. I'm a passionate online course creator myself. I'm the CEO of a, a company called Codebox. We make a product called Lifter LMS, which is a WordPress LMS plugin. It's a freemium model. It's free on the repo, but we have a add-ons that you can add to it to make it more powerful. But I'm just a guy who's super passionate about learning. I have two little girls. I love seeing them learn, and I love helping education entrepreneurs and give them the tools they need to, to find success and to, to launch projects online in an easy way. That's what I'm all about. Excellent. And then we also have our longtime friend, Kim. Hi, I'm Kim Schivler, and uh, I've been a technologist and an instructor for over 20 years. I currently focus on teaching entrepreneurs how to build educationally sound online courses and then use those to make their sales come easier. Awesome. And then riding shotgun, we've got Sally. Good morning, everybody, or whatever time it is when you watch this. <clears throat> I'm Sally Getch, the uh, organizer of the East Bay WordPress meetup and uh, the owner of WP Fangirl, which is a WordPress consultancy. Awesome. And then we've got my beloved co-host, Jonathan. Oh, thanks, John. Um, my name is Jonathan Dinwood, and I'm the founder of WP Tonic. We're a WordPress um, agency, but we also do maintenance and support for a number of clients. You're, we're your trusted partner, aren't we, John? Trusted as can be. My name's John Locke. My business is Lockdown Design, and who I help is medium-sized businesses, with custom WordPress development and SEO so they can take control of their business. And before we get into today's main topic of learning management systems, we have a couple quick news stories in WordPress. One is a 10-up release WP Docker, which is uh, open source configurations uh, for local WordPress development. We are talking about WordPress uh, local WordPress development uh, just a couple episodes ago. Um, you know, uh, thoughts on this, Chris, uh, do you, do you use Docker for uh, local development at all? I don't. Um, but my, uh, business partner, he, he, I'm not sure if he uses it or not, but he does the, you know, local development stuff. So I actually don't do any local development personally. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Kim, uh, thoughts on this? I've never used it. So I really, yep. I don't know. I haven't used it. And I do minimal local development these days. Most of my content development's local, but all my WordPress development is, is in the cloud. That's cool. Uh, Sally, I, um, you know, thoughts on this. I know that uh, we were, when we were talking about it the, uh, the other week, you know, we were talking about Vagrant takes up a lot of space. Morton was actually saying that, but um, you know, a Docker takes up a little bit less space in a virtual machine. Thoughts on this? 
Uh, <clears throat> my thoughts on it is that it's still probably above my pay grade in the development department. Uh, it, I mean, it looks like a good thing that they have produced this, that they've got something that's kind of, you know, already set up and, and a little easier to to use. But while I bookmarked it as, you know, something to, to, to be aware of, um, I still, you know, for the moment, uh, local by flywheel is working just fine for me for, for my uh, local development. So uh, I'm probably not going to switch. Yep, definitely. Jonathan, uh, teams at 10UP, they're still using more Vagrant than they are WP Docker, but uh, do you see that switching? I, uh, I don't know how to answer that question, but um, one thing, you know, um, the conversation with when Morton was with us was that, you know, Vagrant is pretty hard to set up. And, you know, I agreed with him, unless you're in the enterprise, higher enterprise area as a developer, it's probably a bit too complicated to bother with. Um, the problem with local, I've been using local, but we've got a, quite a few maintenance sites and I've been finding it hard to kind of set up multiple sites with local a little bit, might be just me. So I might have a look at Docker because, you know, 10 up, I have used some of their other plugins. We I use their redirect plugin quite a bit, which um, I've got the, which developer on the 10 up team developed that particular one. I apologize, but I'll probably have a look at it because, um, you know, because it comes from 10 up and the, their plugins are normally well, you know, well coded and, you know, pretty stable, aren't they, John? Yeah, indeed. I've, I've used plenty of their uh, plugins over time. Uh, second quick news from uh, about a week ago, Shopify is discontinuing. It's official plugin for WordPress. I think there's 9,000 installs right now. Um, they are saying that it will not be supported after June 30th, 2017. So if you're using this plugin, find something else. Um, Chris, I don't, I don't know if um, uh, you've had any clients like at your previous web agency uh, that use Shopify. Um, you know, uh, any, any quick... We have. Um, we have, I, I think that's always like, uh, a, a danger with, a you know, a dependency where two systems talk to each other is, is there longevity here? Is, is it, you know, it's, it needs to be in everybody's best interest for things to keep moving, whether that's a free plugin or a dependency between, um, code bases and things like that. So I, I do like the Shopify platform have done some custom development and uh, integrations with it before. But yeah, I think it's just really important when selecting tools to always consider, think really long-term about the future and viability of the, the tool set and the companies you're integrating with. Definitely. Can I, can I say something, John? Oh, please. Yeah, I, I think um, they had a bit of a discussion about this on the post-status, last post-status podcast. And... Um, I think one thing they didn't say in, in that particular discussion is that I wasn't that surprised that Shopify did this. It's quite evident um, in the near future that um, WordPress.com you know, is it's in the public domain and they've been working on it uh, very extensively, is that uh, WordPress.com are going to be producing their own um, on um, hosted um, e-commerce system based on WooCommerce, then they're going to, you know, 
basically be in really strong direct competition with Shopify. Um, obviously, Shopify, you know, know this. And um, why would you promote ease of integration with uh, um, somebody that's going to, in the near future, become a major competitor of yours? No, and that's an excellent point. Um, you know, the reason that they stated is they're moving toward an embeddable buy button. And uh, so basically there's like, we're not going to maintain this plugin because we just want you to use this other thing. Maybe that's for purposes of tracking. Uh, maybe it's just they're moving on to a different way of generating it, uh, different scripts or, or something like that. Kim, any thoughts on this or any thoughts at all on, you know, keeping up with uh, plugins that end up deprecated? Well, I, I don't have anybody right now on Shopify. It's been a long time for me on that. But I absolutely agree with what uh, Chris was saying. It, it's something you've got to consider when you're looking at adopting an integration and what it's going to take. If, if you're someone who's really depending on that right now, you've got to be figuring out, okay, am I going to fork this or take this and do something else with it or change everything? So it's a, it's a big decision. I think sometimes in the... WordPress community in particular, people I work with, don't, don't take that long-term view when they're looking at plugins. It's just, oh, there's a plugin for that. Pop it in. And uh, we see the ramifications sometimes later on. That's an excellent point. And, and I want to follow that up with, you know, asking Sally, do you, you know, when it comes to uh, plugins that sometimes deprecate or fall, um, out of, out of being maintained, do you have a plan for like notifying like clients of that, or you know what's your position? Um, I do not have. I, I wish I had anything like so organized as a as a process for for doing such things. Uh, but usually, what happens is that there will be something that you know I installed some time ago on a client site that I haven't done much with, and and suddenly it will stop working, and they will notify me, and I'll have to kind of look into it and. Uh, <laughs> and see, you know, does this just need an update? Is it a situation where things have changed with the update and it needs to be replaced? I mean, you know, the good news is there is almost always another plugin that does whatever it is. Um, and uh, so uh, very often it's, it's not, you know, catastrophic if something is discontinued. I think the situation with the Shopify plugin is a, little bit different because of that integration aspect and you know I, I, I asked and then we were discussing this post a little bit in, in the panel slack channel uh, and I asked whether this might be on account of the you know the issue of automatic buying WooCommerce and and that being you know more competitive with Shopify and, and Morton pointed out that basically that if that was the issue Shopify would want to like improve its plugin and push it harder and, and get it out there. Now, whether, you know, whether the plugin directory would then, you know, accept that, I'm not sure, except that the plugin directory is not a WordPress.com thing. That would presumably be an issue where WordPress.com would decide that yes or no, they will, you know, let people use Shopify on, on their WordPress.com sites. Um, but, uh, that you know, Shopify is making decisions for its uh, you know for its own reasons about where it's going and and what it's 
uh, trying to push people to do. I'm not very fond of, of using, you know, embed codes in WordPress uh, versus, you know, uh, having a no embed option or something like that. Uh, I think that people who already have Shopify stores are probably going to stick with them as long as they serve their, their purpose. Uh, but the last time I looked at Shopify, and, and I only really worked on a Shopify site once, that was enough. Uh, <clears throat> Uh, you know, it was strictly aimed at setting up a store and not at doing a bunch of other things also. Uh, so uh, that, you know, although uh, there may be, you know, increasing competition between Shopify and WordPress.com, uh, unless Shopify wants to also become, you know, the blogging platform and the website platform and, and the other things that it probably would not be well advised to try to include. Uh, I don't know that that's really a, a direct competition, uh, but you know, for whatever reason, they didn't feel like maintaining it anymore. And you know, it is an open source plugin, and as long as it stays that way, somebody could fork it and and adopt it. Other plugins have been adopted by people who decided this plugin is important enough that you know it should continue to exist. Yeah, I, I totally, uh, I see where you're coming from, Sally. You know, I think you could go either way. Either you can make it, you know, what I've said, or you can have the attitude that you've got around why they're doing it. But I, I totally agree with you. I, I'd be surprised if somebody doesn't fork it and then support it. You know, I'd be really surprised about that, really. But who knows? No, definitely. Um you know, so uh, we'll see what happens. Uh, I think it's, uh, we're going to jump into our main topic. And uh, I want to ask, start by asking Chris uh, first and then Kim, you know, what, what is LMS? And, you know, what is different between that and, uh, you know, what, what is the actual definition of a, of a learning management system? The way I like to frame in that question is to talk about the differences between a learning management system, an online course, and a membership site. And those pieces of those are better fits for different projects, or you may have kind of a hybrid of both. But uh, I like to start with saying that what's happening in the WordPress LMS space right now, it's more of a evolution beyond the simple membership site where there's a paywall and lockdown content. Uh, it, it, the LMS, the learning management system, <clears throat> it's not just about getting the sale, it's about staying engaged, uh, having a level of engagement before, between the teacher or the teacher's content and the student. And uh, you know, what I like to really focus on when I make decisions about Lifter LMS is, will this help increase engagement or not, like this feature? I mean, those are the things that we wanna focus on. We wanna see people complete courses because one of the dirty little secrets of the uh, membership site or online information product industry, uh, and there's a social scientist who did a bunch of research on this. I think it's around, it's between six and 10% completion rate across all things, like even the big online university or MOOCs and things like that, which stands for massive open online course. But to bring it back, an LMS, it's not just about getting a sale, it's about having reporting data. You can look at courses and performance in general. You can look at how a specific student's doing. Um, there's just a lot more to manage besides just e-commerce and content protection. That's the big difference between LMS 
and a membership site and an online course by itself is like a you know it's a well structured learning journey through content videos maybe you have um you know weekly or monthly webinars or office hours and these kinds of things so you can have a pretty like plain online course too and none of all three of these options like a membership site an online course or a full-blown learning management system um, they all fit different projects so it just depends on what kind of project you're doing and which type of feature set you need no excellent and and, and kim you know in like the same thing like you know what the differences between like an online course i know that you have a whole thing where you, you help people set up uh how to build an online course but you know differences between that and lms and what are there any places where your students like struggle like uh between um uh the difference between the two well i think yeah i think a lot of people use them interchangeably first of all a learning management system is just to manage the learning environment. It does not mean your courses have to be online. You could have a learning management system that manages your school, your business, your students, even if you're teaching, you know, down at the local community center. You still could have a learning management system that your grades are plugged into or your quizzes or your other information. That's the system that, like Chris was saying, it manages the reporting for your students. Your online course is an online course. Now, when we're building online courses, we're going to use a learning management system that has both. It's going to manage our students, plus it's going to give us the option to deliver quality online learning. And you guys have heard me say this a lot of times. That means you have to be able to give people learning at multiple touch points. It is not a YouTube channel that is just four videos strewn together behind a paywall. That's not a quality class, no matter how many internet marketers tell you it is. So a good learning management system, and Chris has a wonderful one, I teach that. It gives you options for, you've got the video, you've got the text, you've got quizzes to touch base with your students. And then I love, love, love the other thing you said, Chris, it's the same thing I teach. This is not fully, quote, passive income that everybody's looking for. When someone buys an online course from you and you want to help them finish it, they were, they're requiring more touch points with you than just, say, a membership site where you pop a bunch of stuff in once a week, twice a week, et cetera. You need those touch points with them, whether it's a forum or office hours or something else to actually give them that extra help. No, very, very good. Um, one thing that I, I want to ask Chris, and, and then I, I want to see if, if uh, Jonathan and Sally have questions uh, for you guys as well. Um, when it comes to uh, planning like the material for a course, you know, how much like goes into to that? A lot more than uh, most people think. <laughs> so I think that the vision in the mind starts off simple, like, oh, I'm gonna have a 10 lesson video course. And it's hard enough to make videos uh, and, and get comfortable with that and teach, teach through video. But um, I actually, I'm just in the process right now of putting together a course organizer, like kind of packet that has like checklists and things, not just, you don't necessarily have to do everything in it, but it gives people the ideas like, if they know what's possible, then they can start architecting the learner's journey. 
So the very first step in terms of staying organized, uh, I would say is you need to figure out what kind of course you have um, or how are you gonna teach? And there's three main kinds that I talk about. One is called the resource course. This is the most dangerous in terms of a new course creator. Uh, let's say we're gonna make a course about using WordPress. You could literally just keep stuffing resources and training videos in there to the point that nobody will ever finish the course. Um, but there is a place for a resource course, kind of like I can just pick stuff off the shelf as I need it, kind of like a training library. Then there's a, the process course, which is uh, I'm a big fan of, which has a clear starting point, clear end, end point, step by step. Like this is how to build your first WordPress website in a weekend. That would be a learner process. Then what we have is uh, uh, what I call behavior change courses. So if you're trying to become a morning person or give up coffee, I'm going to take you through some training that's going to help you do that. Some of it may be a little bit step by step, but some of it not necessarily. Um, and then, you know, then there's like actually a fourth kind, which I call the hybrid model, which is actually my favorite. And it kind of includes all those or some of those. Um, so once you know what type of course you're going to make, then you need to design the, you know, the layout of the curriculum. What's the course name? What are the sections? What are the lessons? Uh, and then you need to come up with an engagement strategy. Uh, what are you going to do? Are you going to, do you want to do gamification and have achievements? What are those going to look like? What's the theme going to be? Are you going to do certification? What's, what's that? What, how are you going to do that? Um, in Lifter, we have something um, called email engagements where at certain touch points or behaviors in the learning, like completing a specific lesson or uh, passing or failing a quiz, certain emails can go out. So you need to conceptually design that. Um, and then, uh, you know, basically you just need a giant whiteboard <laughs> or something to like just throw all your ideas out there, especially if you're not a classically trained teacher. And then it's about taking things away. Like you don't need to send an email when somebody completes every single lesson. So where is, where's the highest value point? And then the, I'm going to give you one more. I could keep going because I talk about this stuff for hours, but the last one would just be around pricing. And the reason why this is important is I believe in value-based pricing. So you need to get really clear on your, the value proposition. So if you are going to do what I would consider real education, online, you need to have a feedback loop. You need to have a mechanism for the student to uh, engage with you as a leader, even if it's in a group context, uh, either by email support or webinar, one-on-one -on -one meetings, uh, live event, whatever it is. And uh, that's where the real value comes in because we're not all just automatons who are created exactly the same way, learn the same way, have the same resources and are going to struggle at the exact same touch points. So once you introduce that feedback loop and you start addressing it directly, then you have something that's really valuable and your completion rates are going to go up. And, you know, by thinking about pricing and how you're going to introduce that feedback and maybe build some community, even like private Facebook group, live event, whatever, uh, then you're starting to get into a more valuable learning environment. So it takes a while to get it all organized, but those are the key areas I recommend focusing on. Nope. Very good. Uh, John, oh, Sally, jump in. Uh, right. So, uh, yeah, in my former life, I was a university instructor. Uh, teaching is hard. And, you know, this is one thing that many people will not realize if it's, you know, if it's not a matter of, okay, I've taught this 
course in a classroom for a long time. Now I want to make it available online. Uh, you know, they don't understand that the technology is not actually the hard part. That you know, the reason the technology is complex is because the uh, because it's a complex job to design a, a, a class. You know, put together the the lessons, figure out how you're going to measure people's progress, uh, and uh, you know, interact with them and, and figuring out where, what balance of, you know, in-person and, and video and, and automation and whatever you're, you're going to be able to set up, uh, that's difficult. And so, you know, just as e-commerce plugins can only simplify things so far and still be useful, a, a learning management system can only simplify things so far and, and be useful. And I actually had a a client contact me recently that you know she wanted to do a you know a series of you know five video classes but you know she wanted people to be able to you know sign up and pay and and you know be restrict be you know automatically sort of sent to the lesson and and uh, uh, those kinds of things and and you know it sort of like seems simple when you know whoever advised her to do this described it uh, but it's not there's actually a lot of of things in there to uh, to consider and so yeah you need a learning management system to, to to figure out you know to help you structure all of that and and figure it out because you know we're no longer in in the days where everything just sort of had to be done on on paper with uh, outlines and and you know my many hours of marking essays and uh, second marking essays because in in britain where i was teaching every uh, essay has to be graded by two people uh, so uh, you know and and leaving feedback and, and notes because without those you know your students have no idea to, to tell how well are they are they grasping the material and, and so you have to provide feedback to them and you know whether or not they're they're getting actual grades. I remember we, we used Moodle when I was teaching for Media Bistro and, you know, it's got all this stuff in it about grades and I like go back to the Media Bistro, am I supposed to be grading these people? You didn't mention that one. <laughs> They're like, no, no, you can, you can ignore that part. Uh, but, uh, you know, the thing is that like grades are basically your first form of gamification, you know, as, as people are, are trying to, you know, trying to get a good grade and uh, that's a, uh, you know, part of what it motivates them and, and also what, you know, helps them and, and you to know how they're, how they're doing. So, yeah, you know, before you can, uh, before you can create an online course, you have to create a course. And, and that is much harder than people who've never done it think it is. Jonathan, jump in. Well, there's so, there's so many aspects, you know, of this. Um, well, you know, uh, you know, I've been uh, recently. I've been I've been taking some courses uh, around Facebook, and um, I, I've paid up some money, and I've been on two courses. And what they have done is, you know, you got the you got the technology side. I know I noticed that both were utilizing WordPress as their platform. You, you know, you got all the technology side, and what they have done is um, video plus some downloadable PDF resources. They link it to a Facebook private group as well with some webinar elements 
where you have a web, you know, where if you join the course that you can um, speak to the founder on a monthly webinar, and then they normally offer some um, upgrade where they're going to have a um, boot camp, a three to four day boot camp as well. That seems to be the general um, path that a lot of marketers in um, marketing Facebook um, courses, which I've been looking at, um, are going down with different price points. But then you've got the whole um, larger courses. Um, uh, what I'd be interested to ask Chris and um, Kim is, I see this is very light membership plugins and what would they advise somebody that's looking to do this but you know feel a bit overwhelmed by all the things we've that both of them discussed How, what's a good starting point what's a realistic starting point in in general was it very linked to what the you know the person creating a course is looking to do so it's too broad a question or is there is there a risk, realistic starting point that you've got to get to to be effective in 2017 with this? I would say uh, just the, the main starting point that I recommend to people is to actually write the course sales page because if you clarify your thinking about what your offer is and what you want to create and how valuable it is, it helps you you can then develop your action steps of like, okay, well now I got to go make all this stuff. So create the offer first. Well, well, yeah, Kim, what would you say? Well, mine's interesting. When people come to me a lot of times, they're not even, they're, they're so wrapped up in not knowing what they're going to teach yet that they, they're not ready for the sales page. So we usually start with a planning guide, which starts with a brain dump. Because what I find for people who've never done any level of course is they end up, when we're done with the brain dump, they don't have one course. They've got like 12 courses there. And if you tried to put it into one course, it's like you were saying, Chris, it would be a forever course. No one's going to get through it. You know, I use my WordPress one. I still do a WordPress in a weekend. In fact, one launches this weekend. Um, we have to keep that. We keep it very basic and this is all we cover. And then there's the next class and the next one and the next one. The one thing I found that helped with that was everything Chris, you were saying about having webinars and office hours and these different touch points for people. I also have added accountability uh, sessions for people who take my type of courses since they are step-by-step -step because I was having people finish the actual course and never taking their site live because they just, they wouldn't, they were not doing that final couple steps. So I've added accountability in which helped. But I would say once they get that brain dump and the planning and figure out where their course is going to be, absolutely clarifying that and what is my offer gonna be is gonna help them get started. And then kind of to what you were saying, Sally, the other thing I find with people as they go to put it into an online course, particularly people who have taught live, the thing they find the hardest is really creating something that can be automated and touch each person in the way that they need. Because we all know when we're standing in front of that class, and I talk about this in my learning platform speech, we can tell who in that room is not getting it, right? I don't care how much that one guy is nodding his head, you can see in his eyes that he has no idea what you just said. 
And we can't do that online. We've got to figure out other ways to make sure we're touching people in a way that they can at least either get it or understand what they're not getting well enough to formulate a question to get the help from us that they need. Yeah, also, um, I'm in my 50s now. <laughs> Hopefully I don't look it. <laughs> and uh, I, I realise one of the fact I just wanted to see if Chris and Kim agrees with this. One of the things that's not talked about, and, and I've got to be really honest about myself as well, is motivation. Are you really motivated to finish this course? Uh, you know, have you got a group of students that are really up, um, or are they going to find every kind of excuse not to finish the course? And motive, uh, I think, I think obviously intelligence, education are important. But the one thing I think that's not really talked about in general is motivation and how how as an individual you can be realistic about oneself and how you can motivate yourself and i think it's also linked to ux design you can make you can make ux design as simple as possible but if the people utilizing your software um are not really motivated it doesn't really it doesn't really um solve a problem for them or or various other reasons they're just not motivated to use it you can make make interface and i think it does apply to what we're talking about you can make things as simple as possible but if they're not bloody motivated to do the thing they're, they're just they're just not going to do the course and they're not going to learn nothing from it what do you think chris um jonathan you're touching on my favorite topic so uh <laughs> motivation is is everything in terms of uh you know, sustainability and engagement with a platform. I actually prefer to spend way more conversation time around motivation and creating meaningful, meaningful courses than gamification and how to make your software high converting and addicting or whatever. Um, so in terms of motivation, there was some social science research, I think in the nineties, uh, my friend, uh, Peter Felanius showed me about this. Uh, it's called self-determination theory, and there's three main drivers of motivation, which are autonomy, um, competence, and relatedness. Another way to say that in a learning context is um, leadership, learning, and community or team. And those things combined create meaning. And if something's meaningful, you don't have to try that hard. When you experience something meaningful in your life, whether it's in a learning context or not, then um, it's motivation is there. It's always it's there. So what what creates meaning and motivation it has to do with if you if you put it in an online course or a membership site perspective. The way I like to think about this, and this is how I actually come up with features and product road mapping for Lifter LMS, and like where are we going to go next? Because there's a million places we can go. I actually look at this meaning and motivation question as the driver for features and functionality uh, in service to those things. So uh, the community or, or uh, relatedness is an easy one because if you look at uh, your own life and think back to uh, whenever you had some really exceptional learning experiences, even in the real world, not necessarily online, there's usually a social component 
uh, or a team component. And when you learn in pairs, you know, not everybody hears the same thing or, you know, you process together like what's going on. Um, and you can look at an organization like the Navy SEALs or some kind of elite sports team or training um, community. And you'll start to see these similarities of this group that's in the learning environment. So a lot of online courses and membership sites actually feel like a ghost town. So you're totally missing that. I mean, you might have a forum or a Facebook group, which is a good step, but how do you create that um, community? And then the learning piece or the competence, the, the, uh, the driver of motivation for mastery and competence in a subject area or a skill set or resolving some kind of problem in your life, uh, you got the course has to deliver that. It needs to be mapped to reality, to the real world. If you promise in your course that someone is going to build a website in a weekend, they need to do it and they need to, it needs to map to that. And um, a lot of marketing doesn't always map to the real world result. So this, um, you know, real learning is, is uh, it's not about idea. It's not just about the ideas or uh, what we would call, literacy it's also about fluency and the ability to implement and and map that those ideas to the real world uh, and i go on and on about that one but just to move on the um the other one is autonomy or leadership so that means empowering like teachers who are teaching online they need to really be able to step in and lead not just like recycle content that they've heard before or whatever but really step into that leadership role but even more important than that is the ability for the student to step into a leadership role which is somewhat counterintuitive in the way that we've been classically trained in education to kind of sit in the chair receive information and then report back on the test that's not necessarily empowering autonomy or leadership. Uh, whereas like if you teach somebody how to build their own website and then they can start it, their own WordPress freelance agency and stuff like that, that's a pretty powerful, you know, that that's kind of speaks to that leadership potential. Uh, so those, those three things, leadership, learning and community are kind of the secret sauce to motivation, which under that is actually meaning or what feels meaningful in life. What do you think, Kim? Uh, I agree, and I would throw in there that that is absolutely even more critical when you're dealing with adult learners, which most of us are, because as we all do have different learning styles, how hardwired that is on whether it's truly a style or a preference is argued by educators all the time, but we know the preferences are at least there. But for adult learners, it's even more that discovery piece which I, I think kind of to me ties into the leadership part you were talking about, Chris, really it definitely comes together and is something we need to make sure we're doing. And yes, when someone can take, and we do build their website in a weekend, um, I, I would tell them though, after that weekend, they are not ready to open their own web consultancy yet, please. Because <laughs> there's still a lot to learn. But uh, yeah, they can, be, they can be down that path. And um, um, so, yeah, I, I would say that the leadership piece and that is where some of these other community pieces like building an active membership group as part of it. And you're right, you know, we don't want the ghost towns, but if we've got an active membership group who are uh, playing in the forums, 
sharing with each other. I get that a lot with some of my students sharing their own. Here's what I did with my theme. Look at this, that kind of thing. And they get excited with each other. Then we have a better learning situation going on. Something in the last few questions um, that I, it just striking me, like a lot of the motivation behind people taking an online course going through um, some sort of learning thing. It's a very like Maslow's hierarchy of needs. They want to get to like some sort of goal where they're empowering themselves or, or getting some sort of self-actualization. Something that I wanted to ask him um, before I kick it over to, to Sally is um, when it comes to setting up an individual course, something you guys were talking about previously is you can make a course where it's like, say like master WordPress and it could be like forever. But how do you determine or, you know, how do you teach your students to determine like how long a course should be and how do they determine the goals of, of what the students should be able to do like once they've completed each course? Because I think there is like a lot of sense of accomplishment, like once you've gone through something and you understand the concept and you can integrate it into your own reality. So, so how do you basically like how do you determine like what? the length of each course segment and like what should be the end goal that the students should be able to do at the end. So for me, that goes into our brainstorming and planning session. And there's not a hard fast, like every single course should be this long. However, I will say, particularly for automated online learning, I would never go over about 12 modules. The shorter you can keep it, the better. I would rather give someone six modules and then let them feel that accomplishment and go to the next class to get that next level because it helps keep that motivation going. You know, that, and then that is particularly, I think it's true with many people, but it's particularly true in the Western world. You know, it's why when you take martial arts, we have lots of belts to go through, much more so in more American-based martial arts than if you actually studied in Asia with, with somebody. So I would rather break it down. And then also along those lines, remember we don't have huge long attention spans. So do not make 20 minute videos. If you're on a live webinar where you're interacting with people, you can go longer. But when you're actually gonna have someone watch a video and try to do something, and again, if it's step by step, I hammer this out, you've gotta have the video and the written steps. It is not effective for people to be bouncing back and forth in the video, trying to find something that, that they missed. Keep them short. Uh, three minutes is great, six minutes. Uh, I do have one video that's 12 and I apologize for everybody ahead of time. Okay, this is the only one that's really long. I'm sorry, guys. But those are the things you've just got to keep in mind to keep there, keep that attention and really help them absorb what you're trying to teach so that then they can go do it because face it we really have never learned anything till we can actually apply it yeah john uh, can we go for our break and then come back i totally forgot about the break yeah anyway we'll go for a break we'll come back for uh like the last part of our show see you in a minute do you want to spend more time making money online? Then use WP Tonic as your trusted WordPress developer partner. They will keep your WordPress website secure and up to date so you can concentrate on the things that make you money. Examples of WP Tonic's client services are landing pages, page layouts, widgets, updates, and modifications. WP Tonic is well known and trusted in the WordPress community. 
They stand behind their work with full, no question asked, 30-day money-back guarantee. So don't delay. Sign up with WP Tonic today. That's wp-tonic.com. Just like the podcast. We're coming back from the break and we're talking with Chris Badgett and Kim Schivler and also the rest of our panel, Sally Getch and myself and Jonathan, uh, about learning management systems. And I wanted to see a Sally if, if you had a question for either Kim or Chris. Let me see. Uh, I actually, you know, as I said, I just had a client in, inquire about stuff and uh, uh, I've actually recommended that she use Lifter and, you know, have a look at that, you know, creating a, a, a course thing because uh, – if you don't have previous experience of this, it is confusing. And if you do have previous experience, it, it can still be confusing. I mean, I, I think as, uh, as as systems go, that it, it Lifter is pretty clearly set out, but there's still a lot of moving parts in it. Um, um, and, and, you know, there was a question about sort of how much to include in a, in a class. And, and often that requires a little trial and error of going through your, your class a few times to see like, okay, so I thought we were going to get this far. But in the semester, we only actually got that far. And maybe we need to, to, to trim this down. And I, you know, I, Media Bistro wanted me to do, you know, introductory WordPress in four sessions, which, which meant, you know, four sets of videos uh, that cumulatively made up about an hour and four uh, online uh, sessions with my students and I'm like this is not enough so you know we the next the next time we made it six weeks but it's just you know it's like how much can you actually get through and, and expect people to to work their way through in a, you know in a particular uh, span of time and uh, you know it's going to be less than you think because if, if you've developed any degree of expertise um, then you can do it much faster than people who have never tried doing it before are, are going to be able to to do it and I, I just found that was always a challenge with with teaching in in any format uh, was to be able to uh, have a, a, a be able to estimate you know what people who were new to it were going to be able to do because like the more expert you get the further away you are from that the harder it is for you to, to translate things back yeah can I respond John um, I just want to like I think Sandy's a good point but i'd like to ask chris and kim i think like in a lot of things there's a duality here uh, in some ways you know um when you're dealing with more expert you know more people that further down a a, a skill level you've got a, a common um language and a common set of skills um which sounds great when you've got learners or people, they, they've, they've got such a different, you're dealing with such a broad level of possible skill levels of background learning. So that sounds a lot more difficult than, than a group that's more further along the road. But the only problem with that is, um, I forgot the author's name that wrote the book, The Dip. Um, you get a lot of people that are at an intermediate level, but they just cannot push themselves to become an expert level. They're in that dip. So in some ways, that can be very difficult. So which are learners or intermediates harder to actually move forward? That's a really good question. Um, 
I think part of it just comes back to actually the sales page or, or like really talking about who your course is for. Now I know there's going to be a range of different skill levels in there, but is it for beginners? Is it the one-on-one? Is it the intermediate to a one? Is it like the advanced thing that's, you know, that is very elite or whatever. Um, I think that's a, that's an issue that that's actually on the course author or the course creator a little bit in terms of, just like any business selling a product or a service, you have to qualify the lead or the student. And, um, but that being said, you know, if you're teaching to true beginners and your, your course promises like this starting point and this finish point and for, for this type of person within that group, just like in most classrooms, there's likely going to be some, you know, overachievers, the majority and some underachievers. And that's just, that's just part of teaching in terms of, um, and that's why those feedback loops are important in terms of servicing, uh, meeting people where they are. What do you think, Kim? I, I agree. I think so much of it falls on the instructor and the promise and who is my target audience for this? Because in my different classes, I have very different target audiences and what are their skills? What are the prereqs that they have to have? before you're going to work with them knowing that yes there's going to be you know there's going to be this still a variety but making sure that i'm getting everybody as close to, to possible in the right group before getting started the other thing you have to you have to be able to come to grips with as an instructor and it, this one is one i think is harder for people that aren't classically trained instructors is making sure that while you are the expert, you still have the ability to break it down to a level that if you're going to promise beginner training, like, you know, we've talked about my 70-year-olds before that I have teaching them WordPress, and these are not techie people, I have to be able to explain it to a five-year-old or a 70-year-old. Same mindset when it comes to technology sometimes. Actually, the five-year-olds are further ahead. So making sure that you have not gotten so advanced that you can still break it down if you're going to do beginners. Otherwise, you might be better just to focus on intermediate and advanced. So topics. is that what I've got to look forward to, Kim, becoming a five-year-old, Bentley? Aren't you? <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. Just left that open. That was an like open door. That was. You um, made that too easy, John. Yeah, that did. That was easy. It was just easy. Um, what the other thing I wanted to ask both of you is um, my previous question. Do you think it's easy to start off with beginners or intermediate? And with intermediate, the problem is it not is like in and thanks. Um, Kim, um, it was Seth Golden that wrote the dip. With intermediates, you're dealing with a slightly different problem, aren't you? are dealing with getting them over that dip so they can move on, move on, basically. Is it very two distinct problems that then, then if you're dealing with beginners, isn't it? I think uh, it, it's a, uh, I think the beginner's market is often massive, depending upon what the niche is. Um, so, like, for example, if we look at WordPress, the beginner WordPress education market is huge, especially since WordPress is huge. But the intermediate market of, um, like, if you look at people trying to start WordPress agencies, 
is a much, or they're just at a different skill level, much smaller, smaller market. And you see all kinds of courses and communities and masterminds and stuff for like intermediate WordPress users. So uh, they're just very different. But often I think that in terms of price, often those intermediate courses are more valuable or seen that way than the uh, beginner market. And they're often a little more complex in the delivery if it's, uh, you know, they might have in-person mastermind events or, um, you know, pr more private one-on-one -on -one kind of thing. But you, you can only, I like to say like with software and learning software, you, you can, uh, we like to scale the human touch with robotics. So that's just a way to like scale yourself, but you can only do that to a point. When it comes to one-on-one -on -one engagement, you, that can only scale so far. And I think the intermediate market uh, to really help those people, it, it just, in my experience and what I've seen in the marketplace, it's harder. Um, there's a lot more high touch required there. Yeah. And, and less that, failure rates too. But. And obviously that's got, to re, that's got to reflect in the price of the course thing really, isn't it? Yeah. Absolutely. I also think you need to distinguish between people who are at an intermediate level and they've been there a long time and they are kind of stuck and people who are at an intermediate level because, well, I've completed the beginner level now and now I need the information and the, and the training to, yeah. you know, to, to move me on. That's a good, that's a good differentiation. Yeah. I also, the one challenge I find, I, I agree that price point, it's a beautiful sweet spot to go into that intermediate. However, my one challenge a lot of times with working with intermediate is who decided they were intermediate. Yeah. Um, you know, I like people who start with me in the basics and then we go to intermediate and because I know where they're coming from. Mm -hmm. But, you know, sometimes you'll get someone sign up for an intermediate class and, you know, they're still going, what was FTP? I, I was on WordPress.com, you know, and you're going, oh, God. So that's, that's the other challenge sometimes working with intermediate is, is who decided that they were intermediate. Yeah, um, specifically, um, specifically with WordPress, um, one of the problems with WordPress is, is the, um, the actual um, overwhelming sales pitch that's given by the community initially, which we've touched, which is it's easy. Well, it's easy at a very low level, but as soon as you want to do intermediate to semi-advanced, it rapidly becomes more um, complicated. Do you think um, that's just something to do with WordPress, or is that a general thing that you observe in, in learning in general? In technology, I, I recommend... I see it uh, broad, not just WordPress. Yes, we've talked about in the WordPress community are, oh, it's so simple issues. But I've seen that going back to when I taught at the community college technology. And people would come through some of these, quote, school programs, learning web development, et cetera. And then they would, later on when I was a developer, they would come in wanting a job or when I had my, my small company. And you would send them some HTML files. This this predates WordPress, and they're like, um, no, where's that? Where's that online thing? I go on, and you know, it was all um, the the early builders that they were using in the schools, as opposed to actually learning HTML and CSS and some of that. So I've seen that kind of across the board. I've also seen it with uh, desktop applications back in the day when I used to teach 
Word and WordPerfect and, and all those kind of things, people would come in or they would take something basic and then they would come in and apply for a job that was maybe heavy, heavy macro related. And they had no earthly idea what it was. So that was just my experiences across the board in the tech industry. I just want to note one point on uh, uh, qualifying the student or, or um, you know, most in-person schools have an application process, but in the online world, it's just like, did you pull out the credit card and buy it? Right. So like, uh, I don't know, some of that does fall on the teacher to, to like qualify, make sure that the student's a good fit. All right. What do you think, John? Do you think we should wrap this up? Yeah, I think so. Um, I think it's been a very educational episode. And definitely, um, I want to let everybody let us know where they can find them. Chris, if, if people want to find out more about you, about Lifter LMS, how did they get a hold of you? Uh, the best place to go is just to lifterlms.com. There's a demo there. And uh, recently we rolled out a dollar trial. So you can you get a temporary website for a week with all the bells and whistles added on. Everything's already built, pre-built co content. So that's a great way to try things out. I also have a podcast for online course creators and membership site owners called LMScast. Uh, you can just go to lmscast.com to find that. And I'm at Chris Badgett on Twitter. Excellent. Cool. Everybody subscribe to that podcast as well. Give it a good review. Um, Kim, how do we find you? Uh, you can find me at howtobuildanonlinecourse.com or on Twitter at Kim Schivler. Those are the easiest ways. Excellent. Sally, how do we find you? Uh, you can go to wpfangirl.com to find my business website. And I am at Sally Getch on Twitter and many other places. If you can spell my name, you can find me. I am unique in Google. And Jonathan, how do we get a hold of you? Oh, but before, um, just to confirm what um, John says, um, Chris's podcast is great. Go and subscribe to it if you're into educational, um, looking to plan something in the educational sector online. I think you get a lot of value by listening to Chris's podcast. And how to get hold of me? Um, but it's quite easy on Twitter. I'm reasonably active on Twitter and Facebook. Twitter at Jonathan Denwood um, or friend me on um, Facebook or join the WPonic page. Or you can email me at jonathan at wp-tonic.com with any questions. We love feedback about the show. We don't get enough of it. I would love to get more feedback from the listeners about what you want us to produce for you. Um, we're here to um, provide value to you. So, And also subscribe to iTunes. It does really help. But I think also the feedback really matters, doesn't it, John? Yeah, definitely. Let us know uh, what you like and let us know what you'd like to uh, see us discuss more of. And uh, we'll follow your suggestions for sure. Yeah. Uh, if you want to get a hold of me, you can find me at my website, which is lockdowndesign.com. You can also follow me on Twitter, lockdown underscore, and my Facebook page is just lockdown design. For the WP Tonic Posse, in effect, we want to say peace out and Thanks for listening to WP Tonic, the podcast that gives you a spoonful of WordPress medicine twice a week.